Heavenly Father, we ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to us now and do good to your servants according to your word as we come and examine it together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Isaiah 53 is a passage that may be very familiar to us, may be unfamiliar to you, but it speaks of God's servant. It speaks of the servant of the Lord. Uh, the servant of the Lord is mentioned a number of times in Isaiah, but here is a passage that particularly speaks about the Lord's servant uh, so clearly. And so then we ask, who is this Lord's servant? Who is this servant of the Lord? Who is God's servant that is described here in Isaiah 53, as we have just read? Well, it's the Lord Jesus. How do we know? Well, there's many ways that we can tell that this is the Lord Jesus, but one of the best ways is by the way that Scripture commentates upon Scripture. And we see in the New Testament that this is clearly uh, indicated that it is the Lord Jesus. Where do we see that? Well, in Acts chapter 8. We read about an Ethiopian eunuch, and he's reading this passage of Scripture. We read in Acts chapter 8, this very passage of Scripture, where it says, He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And after quoting this passage of Scripture there in Acts chapter 8, the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture, the very passage that we just read, and told him the good news about Jesus. Jesus is the Lord's servant that is described here in Isaiah 53. But who is Jesus? Who is God's servant? Well, the New Testament tells us again and again, repeatedly, that Jesus is the Son of God himself. Jesus is God's son. But what was God pleased to do with his son? What was he pleased to do with his servant? Well, we read many things here in Isaiah 53 uh, that the Lord did to his son. But in verse 10, it says, in verse 10 of Isaiah 53, look with me now, yet it was the Lord's will, and that can even be translated as pleasure, the Lord's pleasure, the Lord was pleased to crush him and cause him to suffer. What was God pleased, even one way you could translate that Hebrew word is delighted to do with his son, it was to crush him. But why would God want to crush his servant? Why would he want to crush his son? What good father wants to crush his son? Well, what else was God crushing along with his son? What was God crushing along with his son? Well, the passage tells us that it was the sin, that sin was crushed along with him. Isaiah tells us that God made his son a guilt offering in that very verse, verse 10. It says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. What was the Lord doing when he crushed his son? He was making his son to be a guilt offering. What is a guilt offering? Well, it's a sacrifice where the sin of someone is transferred to the sacrifice, and that sacrifice then bears the penalty of the sin of that person. How do we know this? Well, Leviticus is one passage that tells us very clearly about what a guilt offering is. Leviticus chapter 5, if you'd like to turn with me there now, you may do so. Leviticus chapter 5, it's the uh, third book in the Bible, page number for you yet, uh, page 100, Leviticus chapter 5, verse 17. Leviticus chapter 5, verse 17. 
The Levitical laws teach us much about uh, the sacrifices that the Lord demanded of those who had sinned. And in Leviticus chapter 5, we read about this guilt offering that is mentioned in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 5, uh, sorry, Leviticus 5, verse 17, it says, If a person sins and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, even though he does not know it, he is guilty and will be held responsible. He is to bring to the priest as a guilt offering a ram from the flock, one without defect and of the proper value. In this way, the priest will make atonement for him, for the wrong he has committed unintentionally, and he will be forgiven. It is a guilt offering. He has been guilty of wrongdoing against the Lord. Here we see a very clear teaching from the Lord in Leviticus chapter 5 that a sacrifice can be made on behalf of someone who has sinned, and the sacrifice then bears the penalty that that person deserves. But whose sin was God crushing when he crushed his son, Jesus Christ? Was it Christ's sin? No. Jesus never did any wrong. And even the passage in Isaiah 53 teaches us that. In verse 9, the verse right before it, it says, He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Jesus never sinned. He was the perfect lamb. So when he was crushed and sin was crushed with him, it was not his sin that was being crushed. So then whose sin was being crushed? Whose sin was transferred to the guilt offering? Well, it's the sin of God's people, those who trust in God. Their sin was crushed with him. And we read that even in verse 5. Verse 5 of Isaiah 53, it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed, same Hebrew word that we have in verse 10 to speak about the crushing of the Lord Jesus. Verse 5, he was crushed for what? For our iniquities. We understand that the Lord Jesus was crushed for our iniquities, that our sin was crushed along with him. What sin was crushed with him? Well, all our sin, all our sin. We read in 1 John verse 7 of chapter 1, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin from all sin what sin does that include then well all our idolatry all our greed all our hate all our lying our lust our laziness our sins of omission as well as our sins of commission and then you think about the fact that we're told to love the lord our god with all our heart soul mind and strength and we do not that is sin that is a sin of omission and those sins all our sins, our sins of commission, our sins of omission, were all on the Lord Jesus. And those sins were crushed along with him. But was it really God's pleasure, God's delight, God's will to crush his son? Yes. Why would God, though, delight in crushing his son? Why would he be pleased to do it? Well, the Lord is pleased to correct wrong. The Lord is pleased to correct wrong. When is it good for us to be angry? Is it ever good for us to be angry? Well, the answer is yes. God has made us to be creatures that get angry as he gets angry. And when should we get angry? When we see injustice. When we see injustice, anger rises in our hearts to help us to do what? To correct that wrong that we see and make it right. And this is exactly how God behaves towards sin. How do we know? Well, Scripture tells us again and again that the Lord is wrathful. He gets angry against sin. And one of the clearest teachings of this is in Romans chapter 1. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1, page 1112, if you have a Bible before you. 
Romans chapter 1, and we'll look at verse 18 through to the end of the chapter, where we see so clearly the Lord's wrath being revealed. Why? Because of the wickedness of men, that he is correcting the wrong by getting angry. Verse 18 of Romans chapter 1, page 1112, if you have a church Bible. The Apostle Paul writes, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind, to do what ought not to be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They're senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Why is God pleased to crush sin? It is because he is seeking to correct what is wrong. He is correcting what is wrong. So, of course, it delighted God to crush his son, Jesus Christ, in his wrath when Jesus took our sin upon him. When he became that sacrifice, where our sin was put upon his shoulders, then of course God was pleased, was delighted. It was his will to crush even his beloved son, his one and only son. Why? Because God was correcting. God was correcting the wrong of his people by punishing his son so that his people could go free, so that his children, his people, could go free. So when we read in Matthew 27, as we read before, what do we see? Well, we see wrong being corrected. As we see the Lord Jesus crucified, we see wrong being righted, a guilt offering being made. Christ's body in Matthew 27 and sin is being crushed in the beatings and the crucifixion. And also in Matthew 27, what do we see? We see Christ's soul and sin being crushed in the mocking, the shame, and God's wrath being poured out upon him as he hung there on the cross. But what was the result? What was the result then? Was the result achieved? That wrong was corrected by the Lord's crushing of his son? 
Well, the answer is yes. Sin was righted by the crushing of Christ. How do we know? Well, Isaiah 53 tells us, prophesies that sin would be dealt with. And how would we know? Well, in verse 10, turn back with me to Isaiah 53, verse 10, it says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. We see here that Jesus would satisfy God's wrath and that his days would be prolonged, that he would be raised from the dead and live for eternity. And not only him, but what does it talk about there in verse 10? It says he will see his offspring. He will see his offspring. He will see God's people and they will live as a result of his work at the cross. And this has happened. Jesus has been raised. It wasn't just prophesied about in Isaiah 53 and turns out to be a false prophecy. No, it was a true prophecy from Isaiah. Because we see in the New Testament that Jesus has been raised to life. And person after person, Jesus has seen enter into paradise. He has seen his offspring live despite their sin. And it's because his work at the cross was successful. What happened on that Good Friday so many years ago? Christ was crushed in hellfire at the cross. In the hellfire at the cross so that his people would not be crushed in hell for eternity. His people deserve to be crushed for their sin, but instead he was crushed at the cross with their sin. And instead of them being crushed forever in hell, what will happen to God's people? They live eternally in heaven without the crushing weight of their sin and without the crushing weight of the punishment that they deserve for their sin. Now, as I was looking at this passage and trying to work out what might be a helpful illustration for us to understand what it is that when Christ was at the cross, he was being crushed, but it was our sin that was being crushed with him, I thought of the modern invention of a car crusher, a car crusher. What's a car crusher? Well, when they, I've never actually seen one in the person, but I'd like to uh, see one in operation, where they pick up an old car, they put it inside this big machine, and the hydraulics move and the car is crushed. And sometimes we see it in movies. Uh, and what sort of scenes do we see it in movies? Well, it's usually where a crime boss owns a car crusher, a car yard of some sort, and he has a rebellious employee. You can call them employees. A rebellious henchman. And what does he do to that rebel? Well, he puts him inside the car, a car that is to be crushed, lifts that and then handcuffs him to the steering wheel, puts that car inside the car crusher, and then what does he do? Well, he presses the button. So the hydraulics activate, the car is slowly crushed, and what happens? Well, the employee inside that car starts to squawk quite loudly. And if he's needing to give some information, if he's needing to confess his crime, he starts to do so as he understands that eventually, if the button is not stopped, if the button is not pushed and the car crusher is not stopped, what will he become? Well, the car and the rebel will be crushed into a cube of steel. And what would happen to that cube of steel? Well, one day it will be worked into a new car, but what will happen to that employee? Well, he will die and his body will be eradicated. Police will never find him. And so we can see why a crime boss who has no thought for laws of the land, would use such a thing. But as we look at Isaiah 53, verse 10, 
How can this illustration be helpful for us? Well, what is the car? The car we could picture as Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the car. Who is the rebel inside the car? Well, it's God's people who are handcuffed to Jesus by faith. That's what faith is. When we trust in Jesus Christ, it unites us. It, it secures us to Jesus Christ. We are spiritually attached to Jesus and so what does that mean? Well, we suffer with Jesus at the cross as he is crushed. And what's the car crusher? Well, the car crusher is hell. The car crusher is hell. And who presses the button to start the car crusher? Well, it's God the Father, the one who is the offended party. We're the rebel. He is the offended party. And so what happens when he presses the button? Well, the hydraulics start and Christ's body is crushed and his soul is crushed with God's hellfire. And as Jesus is crushed at the cross in, Isaiah, in, in Matthew 27, which we heard before, as Jesus is crushed, what happens? Well, all those who trust in Jesus Christ are crushed along with him. They're crushed along with him. Why? Because we are the main reason he is being crushed. We are the main reason he is being crushed. The button is, wouldn't have been pressed if we weren't in the car with Christ Jesus, with our sin by faith. But what happens after the crusher has done its work, has crushed the car? Well, a cube of steel is left. What was that cube of steel when we think of Jesus Christ? Well, it's Christ Jesus' tortured body. His body was there at the cross. It was taken down and it was placed in a tomb with us attached to it still by faith. But what happens to that cube of steel when it's crushed by the car crusher? Well, it's taken away and then it's reworked into a better car than the one that was before. And what happens to that cube of steel if we think of Jesus Christ? What happened to his body? Well, it was transformed. It was reworked so that it's even better. A body that houses Christ's soul that will never suffer that will never feel pain, that will never die again. And who else gets a better vehicle? Christ gets a better vehicle as a result of cru the crushing at the cross. Who else gets a better vehicle? Who gets a new resurrection body as well? Well, all those who are crushed with Jesus by faith. Why? Well, our souls actually survive with Christ. But the sin has been crushed out of our soul at the cross. The penalty is paid. How is that possible? If a car usually has someone in it and they're crushed in some sort of car crusher and the car is made into a, and the steel is made into a new car, what happens to the person? Well, usually they disappear in the process. But for us, Christ protected us. Christ protected what was left of our soul after the sin was crushed out with Son of God steel strength. He protected our soul so that all the sin was crushed, but our souls we're not crushed for all eternity and removed. And so we, as believers in Christ Jesus, we rejoice, thanking God that he willed, he delighted, it was his pleasure to crush Christ as a guilt offering for us. Why? Because our sin has been crushed. What sin? All of it, past, present, future, all our hatred, our lust, our greed, our sins of commission, our sins of omission, all have been crushed. And we have escaped and get to go free. 
do you realise that you were almost physically in a scene from the worst reality horror movie of all time, of all of eternity, that you were destined to be crushed in hell for all eternity. And it's reality. It's not a movie. It's reality. But what happened? Jesus became the victim in that horrific film. Jesus became the victim. And we have been through the crusher already by faith. We've already been through hell because of our unity with Christ at the cross. It's horrific to consider what we deserve and what has happened to us. My wife taught last Easter about Christ's crucifixion to kindergarten scripture kids, scripture kids that she has at the public school. And the very next week, she found out one of the children was removed from her class and wouldn't be coming to scripture anymore. Why? Because the parents didn't like their child hearing about the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. And in one sense, we can understand why. It's horrific. We can talk about the cross of Jesus Christ as though it's something that is just frivolous to us, that is so common to us. But it's a horrific event that we see in Matthew 27. In one sense, the Bible does help us to to not delve into the depths of it because of the way that it describes the crucifixion because they simply describe, when Jesus is crucified, it says they crucified him. It doesn't go into all the details. But we should consider the awfulness of the crucifixion. The people at the time understood what it was. They'd seen crucifixions. And so we have to understand that it is horrific what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is horrific. But it is a good Friday that we celebrate. Why? Because we have a new resurrection body as a result of the cross, as a result of that horror that happened to the Lord Jesus Christ, a new resurrection body that never sins, that never suffers. We will never be in that soul crusher of hell But if you do not trust in Jesus Christ, if you do not trust in Christ, you should not rejoice in Good Friday. What should you do? Well, you should be afraid. Why? The Bible is clear that you will be crushed for all of eternity in hell. Why? Because of your sin. The Lord will be pleased again. It will be his pleasure. It will be his delight as one who opposes sin to crush you if you do not repent of your sins and trust in Christ Jesus. Why? Because sin needs to be punished. Wrong needs to be righted. If you're honest, you would agree with that. Every time you get angry about someone's sin, you affirm that God should be angry with you for your sin. You may say, but what about the Christians? What about the Christians? They sin too. Well, yes, but Christians have Jesus around them, remember. Jesus is around his people. Christians have a vehicle around them that protects them from the crushing of hell. Whereas you, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you have no vehicle around you to protect your soul as your sin with you is crushed in hell one day in eternity. So will you be crushed in hell and remain crushed there for all eternity with no way of escape? As horrific as it sounds to be trapped in a car crusher, as the hydraulics work and press down, it's nothing compared to the horror of hell.
and the wrath of God pressing down for all of eternity upon your soul. But it doesn't have to be. Christ can protect you as well. He can be your sacrifice, your guilt offering too. How? Well, simply by trusting that Jesus was crushed for your iniquities, that your sin was handcuffed to him so many years ago, that you were handcuffed to Christ Jesus in your sin. And so therefore, he has been crushed on your behalf with your sin. And so therefore, you can rejoice by the Holy Spirit that you have escaped the horrific crushing of hell for all eternity. And why else should you rejoice? Not just that you've escaped hell, but that you're now handcuffed by faith to Christ's resurrection too, that you have been raised to life, that death is no longer a threat to you and you will one day live for all of eternity in heaven. It's not as though Christians escape hell and then we die and that's it and we we don't suffer, we just go into nothingness. No, we go into glory. We're united with Christ in his death, in his burial, but also in his resurrection and his ascension. And one day we will see the reality that has already taken place for our souls, the unity that we have with him in his resurrection and ascension. So if you're a Christian, rejoice and live a life of thankfulness, rejoicing in the one who was crushed for you and serving him, serving him because he was crushed on your behalf so that you would never need to be crushed for eternity in hell. Let's come before God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your holiness, that you cannot let sin go unpunished, that wrong must be righted. And Lord, we come before you and confess that we have sinned and deserve to be crushed eternally in hell under your wrath. But we thank you that in your love, you crushed your son so that through faith in Christ Jesus, we never will be crushed in hell, but we will live with Christ in heaven in new resurrection bodies that cannot die. Lord, we ask, though, that if there is anyone here who is outside of Christ Jesus, may they trust in Jesus now and be saved through his sacrifice so many years ago and therefore live eternally with him. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.